welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that uh, seeks to find middle ground just in the ways of life. And lately, we've had a theme, I guess. <laughs> and the theme is, we'll call it neurodivergence, I guess. It's a nice umbrella term that seems to work. So we're just exploring that as it's relevant to our personal lives right now. And based on feedback from you guys, it's relevant to a lot of people. Um, my name is Jenny Omani. And I'm Annika Buckle. As always, we love when you say nice things about us. So if you want to take a minute right now and head over to your platform of choice and give us a nice little five-star review, maybe say a nice thing in the comments, that would be delightful. We would be grateful. Um, Jenny, what, uh, what avenue of neurodivergence are we jamming on today? You know, I thought it would be really, and I mentioned this last week, I think when we were talking, um, that it would be, it's worth having a little chat about what it looked like for us, uh, deciding to put our kid on medications for her ADHD to call out bias, like right out the gates. Like I am a registered nurse. I am not afraid of medications. Um, and so that isn't something that, yeah, that's just not something that's ever really concerned me. I've, done work as a research assistant in the past. I understand maybe a bit more than your average person in terms of how these studies are done and how they determine efficacy and safety and whatnot. Nowhere near to the extent of, you know, somebody who legitimately that is their their realm. But medications were something that just I I, I was fine with from the beginning. But I do appreciate that that's something that a lot of people are not fine with. Yeah. At the beginning or or even at any point. Yeah. And I feel like it's especially, it can be especially tricky with kids because there is often this response back that like, well, you know, what do we know about how this is going to impact them as an adult or even as an older child? And, you know, I think a lot of this longitudinal stuff um, that was really heavy conversation around COVID vaccines, I think has really kind mm -hmm. of permeated mm -hmm. the uh, general zeitgeist where it might have kind of been more of a niche conversation before. Um, mm -hmm. I think it maybe is a, a wider, I don't want to say like barricade, but like concern, like and legitimate concern, really. I mean, I think we always really want to do what's best for our kids. And mm -hmm. it's hard when there isn't ever just one right blanket answer like everybody mm -hmm. should do x right because mm -hmm. it depends on so many different factors your kid your medical coverage you know how they respond to things these are all you know very nuanced topics never mind you know feelings <laughs> mm -hmm. you know it's yeah it's yes to all of that and i think um, part of me was going to talk a little bit about the different medications for ADHD. And then I decided, no, like that's its own conversation. And that's not, I wanted to talk more about just the parental lens of the experience. And then, mm -hmm. um, another day, I think it'd be awesome to dig into the different medications and the history of those medications. Cause they've changed so much. Yes. And I think so much of what we both have just said, and it really bias comes in hugely, mm -hmm. right? For sure. Um, and I think a lot of that bias, I do wonder if a lot of that comes from the medications that we as kids grew up hearing about for ADHD, right? Well, or just generally, I mean, I don't know anyone of 
you know, my generation or a little older who, you know, doesn't have thalidomide, you know, running in the background a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a great point. Hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also when we look at ADHD specifically, when you and I were kids and all the little boys (laughs) were getting diagnosed (laughs) with ADHD, because that's actually who the criteria for diag- diagnosis, that's who it was built off of was yeah. boys. I think it was ages um like six to 11 or like it was like a tight age cohort of boys. It was a very specific group mm-hmm. that the diagnostic criteria was built around. And then the treatment for that diagnosis was built around the same group, right? And the early frontline medications, I mean, really the only one that I can think of as someone who's not in pharmaceutical expert is Ritalin, right? Mm-hmm. We all heard about kids on Ritalin. Yep, exactly. That was like the um, the Kleenex of the, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? No, but I don't know anybody who says tissue. Everyone just says Kleenex, right? It's, it's Ritalin it is, is shorthand. Or, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Scott Paper would argue with that, but. <laughs> they sure would. They sure would. And they've come out with that like scalloped edge toilet paper. <laughs> Why is that not at Costco? Just saying. Come on, Kirkland, get on it. Um, But I think this interesting thing happens with anecdotal bias. Mm -hmm. This whole thing of you can hear all these different experts talk about things. You can see good evidence for things. But if you've had a personal experience that is to the contrary of that, it's like really hard to move past that. So mm-hmm. if you are And somebody, I would say even first yeah. or secondhand experience, right? Like my friend who I actually yes. know. Yes. You know? Excellent. Yeah. Good yeah. point. And I think that if you're somebody who, when we saw this wave of, and we talked about the transition from DSM-4 criteria last week to DSM-5 and how that basically broadened who was getting diagnosed with ADHD. Great conversation. If you haven't caught it, go back and listen. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to listen in order, but we're not going to like rehash it. But (laughs) I think that when you look at the fact that all of a sudden you had a whole bunch of kids getting diagnosed, we talked about why there was more of them last week, you know, at this time. And then you start treating them with a medication that I don't really know much about the long-term safety or efficacy with it. I know that we have better medications now. The side effect profile is much more palatable with our current frontline agents for ADHD than, you know, the frontline agent. I think it was a singular agent, <laughs> you know, that, that <laughs> well, was I used mean, then, right? It, yeah. It, we're I looking think at apples and oranges now, this but is I one think of our nice, brains think right. of the apples. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one of the nice things that I think it's important to remember about medication generally is you know, occasionally we will come across a medication that is still the medication that, you know, maybe you as a child or your parents, even as children took, but mostly as we understand things more, as more scientific research happens, we Mm -hmm. figure out ways to target things with medication really more nimbly, I think. And Mm -hmm. that kind of leads to exactly what you're saying. We can kind of reduce those side effects. We can target things maybe a little bit more specifically than we were able to Mm -hmm. before when something is new and we find something that works and that's just kind of what works. So you either use it or you don't, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, I think one of the things that can feel 
on the parent or the consumer side, it can feel uncomfortable is that things do change and we do get more information as we have more information Mm -hmm. and things shift. And we would love everything to just be like really stagnant as humans, right? We'd like to just it's easier like have a for problem. our brains, right? Yeah. Have yeah. a problem, have an answer to that problem, and that just be the answer. And when and not to bring it back to COVID, shifts, this it, is COVID what COVID was such a good example of that. Yeah, though. totally, right? When we see this, you know, really quick pivoting, which is what science and medicine do actually all the time. Mm -hmm. But when it's so in the public lens, all of a sudden it lends to scrutiny because to your point, we don't want, we just want there to be one problem and one solution. And Mm -hmm. then that is the end, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when you're looking at a field that's changing as it should, Mm -hmm. right? Everything should be changing. Stagnation is not a good thing. Change (laughs) is good. And I do think, though, that that lends to this inherent sort of hesitation to start medications with our kids or even for ourselves. And you've got that fact that things are changing because they're always going to change in medicine, (laughs) in science, in, you know, technology. Like, that's the goal, man. We didn't stop at the first Apple computer because it was wicked. Like, we kept going. And that's the cool thing about humans, right? We keep asking questions and we keep finding answers and we keep going. So wording within um, medicine and scientific consensus is open-ended, right? Things like current frontline therapy is. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's going to change. Yeah. And it's going to change. So I think what's really important to remember is that the people who are prescribing medications to kids. I'm talking about kids in this particular instance, Mm -hmm. like really, really have a vested interest in kids doing well. Pediatricians actually do not get paid as well as a lot of other specialist physicians. They don't bill in the same billing structure. People don't go into pediatrics, uh, to general pediatrics, to make a ton of money. <laughs> no, that's what anesthesiologists are for, right? <laughs> oh, dude, Joe, go, you want a laser, a surgery, a surgery profession that uses lasers for sure, right? Ophthalmology. Right. The point is that of all the people that go into medicine, and th- this is not an area that attracts people that are just in it for the money. So uh, for me, when I, and this also goes back to to COVID in a way, a lot of people move to a stance of like, um, I'm going to do it on my own. They siloed themselves. Mm, I don't trust anybody. mm -hmm. I'm going to find my own information. And for me personally, I can't think of anything worse than having to be dependent on only me to filter through everything because there's so much. We have experts for a reason. Yeah. Well, and I think that we kind of have layered this. I think one of the things, especially in North America, although I think absolutely in kind of Western, quote unquote, whatever, whatever the fuck Western culture is these days. Yeah. Generally, I think we've seen a real degradation in trust in institutions. Yeah. We see that with government and we see that with medicine. Mm-hmm. 
And it creates a space where if you can't trust an expert, it leaves you. And I think feeling really vulnerable and really afraid Mm -hmm. and really like overwhelmed because if you can't trust the institutions, then you have to do it yourself. And Mm -hmm. to your point, if you're not somebody with, you know, a biomedical degree or, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, a a specialization in, in research medication, you know, how can you ever know that you've done enough, you know? Yeah. And in so many other areas, right? Like, I'm sorry, I just want to trust that the mechanic did the oil change on my car properly. (laughs) I just want to trust that when I go to the grocery store and get my groceries, that like the jar was sealed and processed properly. I, you know, there's so many of these levels, like, and I think that this societal almost paranoia has kind of come in. So Mm -hmm. for me, having trust doesn't mean you think the system's good and the system's working perfectly. Like very important. We are currently. I trust the system and I still hate it in a lot of ways. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I do think that there are parts of the system that I don't always trust. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. We we know that women don't get listened to well within, you know, historically within the healthcare system. Neither do indigenous people. Exactly. Right. right? Like so, but all to say that for me personally, I sought help from child experts to get my kid diagnosed. We saw SLP or speech language pathologists. We saw occupational therapists, um, child psychologist, pediatrician. And I went to all of them to help figure out what the best thing to do for my daughter was. So for them to come with their top recommendation and for me to be like, no, I want to do something different. To me, it's like, well, what was the point of spending all of that money finding all seeking, of that waiting for all of these people energy putting your kid what was the point appointment and then deciding right? that i knew better than them right yeah. and it's one thing to say like when our family doc said i don't think your kid has adhd i was like mm. but that wasn't a reflection of my family doctor that was a fr- reflection of how long our appointments are and the mm-hmm. screening form that was used it was not again this is person. like you you don't not trust the system but you see the no. places the system is broken and that's there's a gap right exactly yeah. No, she referred me on to the child specialist. She didn't dismiss me, any of that. But my point is more that what is the point? And this also loops back to COVID. The amount of people that did not get vaccinated that I looked after in our ICU and who a lot of them died because of COVID. It was like, mm-hmm. why did you come to the hospital then? Right. If you don't, if, if, if you don't if, trust us, why did you come in? Yeah. Right. And it's, it, to me, it's kind of like that, like, okay, so why get an expert if you're not going to do what the expert says? Right. Right. And And, well, and I think this is the flip side where a lot of people don't seek out a diagnosis or don't seek out treatment. Right. Because, you know, and there is nothing wrong with choosing not to treat if you don't feel like that is the right answer. Um, but I think it really requires a deep dive into, you know, w- what does my child need, you know? Mm-hmm. And where are my experiences and my bias coming in that could be clouding this? For us, we got our, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this in the autism episode, but we got the pediatrician said, hey, your kid's ADHD screening forms do not meet inclusion criteria for ADHD, but I think she has it anyways. I think we should trial some medication. She she started with like, 
there are different ways we can. And I was right. like, I'm cool with med. She's like, okay, so here's, I think we should start medication. Right now they're normal. But I think that this is an important point too, right? It's not, I think a lot of times this distrust in the institution comes from like, they're just pushing medication. They're just pushing yeah. medication. Mm -hmm. Even with my own diagnosis, you know, the conversation I had with the doctor was she, you know, she said, what do you want to do? You know, here are the avenues. We can do this. We mm -hmm. can do this. There's lots of options. That was her first question before she started talking to me about medication. When I said I wanted medication, then that mm -hmm. was a conversation we had. And if I said I didn't, she would have given me the other tools and sent me on mm -hmm. my way. Right. Well, and both the place that I got diagnosed through and the pediatrician, the first thing they actually do is send you non-pharmacological non interventions. Yeah. Things that you can do that are not medications to see if they help. So and you should actually be doing this is definitely a and not an or yes. situation. So this is the middle ground. Do both. Do all you the need things. To do both. You need <laughs> yeah. to do both. So and I do want to talk about both here. So but in terms of the medication component, so that we agreed pediatrician said, let's start meds. At this point, it was the beginning of December and she was about to go on mat leave. She's like, let's get the results from your psych ed and your ASD assessment. We did not have our autism assessment back at this point. And then in the new year, whoever the person covering my mat leave is, you can be like fresh face. They can get to know you. You can do the med start. And I was like, okay. And so I emailed this teacher at the school and said, hey, this is what she thinks. Um, if things start to look like we're not coping at school, let me know and I'll just email them. And the teacher emailed me back, emailed me back and she said, honestly, over Christmas break when she's not in school is a really great time to try the meds out. And I was like, oh, that's a great point. So mm -hmm. I sort of tabled that because we had our appointment with our, to get our ASD results with the psychologist and the psychologist's number one recommendation. So she got a, she got a absolute ADHD diagnosis through the psychologist and the psychologist said the number one recommendation was a medication start because, and her main reason as a psychologist was that she said, your kid unmedicated absolutely cannot absorb all of mm. these treatments and therapies that she needs for her autism and her ADHD. Right. She can't improve her executive functioning at an OT with her ADHD, having her zooming all over the place. No, not, she's not hyperactive, but like her right. eyes, her, she's Mentally. absorbing. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. memorizes spaces. She walks in and she's processing the whole space, right? Like she can't work on her executive functioning. She can't work right. on her communication stuff with the SLP because she can't sit still and focus. Right. So in order for her non-pharmacological interventions <laughs> to work, right. she needs pharmacological intervention to be able to have recall of the stuff and to be able to do it. That's such an important thing to call out. I, I think this is, again, where this is such a beautiful conversation for us as we talk about a middle ground is, you know, this isn't a put your kid on meds and then forget about it. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> right? that's not, no. that, that's not how this, that's not how it's working for me. That's not how it's working no. for your kid. That's not how it's working no. for you. That's unfortunately, or I mean, fortunately, I guess, because we're dynamic mm. beings that change all the time. That That's just the reality of it. I was laughing mm -hmm. with um, a friend of ours the other day who has a, I guess, four month old now. 
Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, you, things were going great until last week, you know, you know, everything's gone to shit again. And it's like, well, this is just kind of what it's like, especially with kids. Life is a phase, man. Too, right. Like, oh, this yeah. was working. Oops. Now it's not working. I don't know. Now yeah. we have to try something else or now we have to adjust or now we have to keep looking at it. You can't really ever take your eyes off of any of it. <laughs> and well, then that's I wonder thing. why we're tired. <laughs> right. And so for us, that was kind of, I was a hundred percent like game on, like, let's start med. Something needs to change. Dave was more hesitant, but I didn't really give him a choice to be honest. And well, then you've after really that, been spearheading most of this. Oh yeah. Right? I was it's... like, oh, I'm sorry. Look, I'm, I'm the expert. Yeah. <laughs> who, who spent hours every single day finding a psychologist finding like, no, no, I'm right. calling this decision. But, um, when he talked to the psychologist and she was mm -hmm. like, all the money you're spending on all of those therapies you are not getting nearly the full benefit because her ADHD and that is that is how you talk to somebody who cares about money. <laughs> it's like we were talking about last yeah. week, right? It's like if you if for no no other reason than this is yeah. a waste of your money. <laughs> right? And yeah. so I emailed the office, the pediatrician's office, and I have to say if you need to email if you need to expedite something in terms of booking an appointment, especially with a place that you've got a relationship with, or you're already on the patient load, say that you're not coping. That phrase really is something mm. that like you're talking to a receptionist, right? And she's mm -hmm. just booking appointments. So if you need to, um, I think especially as women, we tend to try not to hyperbolize things, which can right. often mean we um, downgrade oh, them. I'll, I'll survive. Like it'll be fine. Oh, for sure. Couple I don't want to inconvenience oh, you. Right, right. Like, no, no, this is a person on the other end who's booking appointments. She's going to book appointments all day anyways for people. Like if you say I'm not coping, she's going to. Yeah. So I just said, Hey, we're not coping. I'm wondering if we can, we had our report for the psychologist. This is what she recommends. This is also what the pediatrician said. Can we just book a phone appointment and just start this? And they, they were like, yeah, no problem. And like, I want to say the next day we, um, had a phone appointment and did the med start. Um, so that was sort of how we came to do it. Uh, in terms of the literature and recommendations for ADHD, frontline, um, treatment and management is medication. That's still number one recommended, but it's in partnership with non-pharmacological interventions. So, um, things that should really be prioritized based on the literature are, you know, exercise, getting your kid out of moving, even if they're not of the hyperactive type, um, that brain just needs an outlet. We know, and this is so annoying because it gets so abused by the wellness world, but like exercise is like really important for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if exercise and, looks like and going then, for a walk I was or just doing like say, just doing something, it doesn't it's have like to be really mean... important getting up at 5 a.m. and lifting weights unless no. you love that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and it can nope. look like that if that's what you love. Like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I think this is where, to your point, the wellness world tends to really kind of abuse it. Like, if you're not getting up at 5 a.m. and if you're not, you know, running marathons and if you're not, if it doesn't mm -hmm. look like this, then you're not doing it right. Honestly, like, mm -hmm. yeah, exercise so important and being outside. Fresh mm. air. There's just something really calming. Like, it's also well documented that being in nature is – extremely beneficial for mental health for anybody. Um, this is hard too, right? Because these are both things 
that typically are of privilege, right? You're of privilege to live in a place where you have fresh air or nature Mm -hmm. that you can go to. You, Mm -hmm. you know, have the bandwidth that you have space and or time for your child to be involved in physical activity. Yep. These are, these are systemic gaps. I think it's important to call out. Yeah, totally. Especially because they're the free ones. (laughs) The most accessible could be not accessible in a really like twisted irony. Maybe there's medications, depending on where you are, that aren't covered or whatever, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I don't actually know because we have extended um, coverage, so I don't know what is covered because of, like, Fair Pharmacare versus our extended benefits. I just know. I will, I will tell you from I my don't... conversation with my um, primary care practitioner is a lot of these medications are not covered if oh, you don't have extended health. Yeah. Yeah, and I know they have to be – uh, trialed in a certain order because some yes. of them are only approved if you've tried like the cheaper ones and it doesn't so, work. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. So, so I don't even know, but I would imagine if something's not affordable, if you can't physically pay for it and then the other non-pharmacologicals are, are also inaccessible. Yeah. The non-pharmacologicals are also inaccessible. That's just like yeah. extra shitty. Um, we did notice some really interesting things with the med start with her though. Uh, and Uh, One of them, the thing that was the most interesting for me was that she's a kid who's never slept well. Now, she's never woken us up since she's a baby, of course, um, because she just stays in her room and whatever, but she has never slept well. She's frequently very grumpy in the morning, um, just like not a good, not good quality of sleep. And she started sleeping really well, Hmm. which is funny because one of the side effects of stimulants, these are all like different types of stimulant medications, is that you won't sleep as well. But because the ADHD brain is working so much harder Mm -hmm. than your neurotypical brain, and then all of a sudden it doesn't have to work as hard, it's not overtired at bedtime. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you've ever had a baby, you know what happens when they get overtired. Yeah. Some some well-meaning relative will say, oh, just keep her up. She'll sleep later. And you laugh and laugh as you're up at three o'clock in the morning with them because of course they they still won't go to bed. Because they're exhausted. It's... I, it is ultimately, I would say, a flaw in our human design <laughs> that being it overtired is. makes us sleep badly. But anyways, it's real. I know. <laughs> it's totally real. Um, what was really interesting is the first, I want to say, three or four days after she started her medication, she was, like, very tired. Like, are you getting sick? And in my head, I was like, no, man. You know when you are so busy like the end of the school year or leading up to Christmas and it's like go 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 and then you just like kind of have that crash where you're just so like tired and mm-hmm. you're like just almost lethargic mm-hmm. it was kind of I was like I think she's doing that and after about three days she just was like ping and she it's like she finally her body finally had had achieved <laughs> rest <laughs> for long enough that she could just be a kid And, um, she, one of the worries that Dave had was that her personality would be impacted Mm -hmm. and it a hundred percent doesn't impact. No. Now one of the side effects can be irritability, um, cause it is a stimulant. And if it's a medication, there's a ton of different medication options Mm -hmm. and it can take a while to find the right medication. And if the wrong medication is the first one you try, you might have some of this really moodiness and irritability that goes along with it. Um, and if that's persistent for more than about a week, which is what our, um, pediatrician said, then that's a sign that's not the right medication for you. It doesn't mean the medications aren't going to worse. It's that particular medication is not the right fit. 
Yeah. Um, well, you know what? This is, a, I had a similar experience when I was finding the right antidepressant a couple of years ago. And I think I've heard experiences, you know, that other people have shared with me like, oh, I tried it and it didn't work. I had to try five before I found the one that worked, yeah. but I was committed to doing that. And I had some terrible experiences and I had some just very mediocre experiences and I had some just side effects I didn't love. And so I just mm. kept finding something that worked for me. And I think it's hard to tell somebody who might already be hesitant to yeah. like, just like, it's just that, just keep going. You know, it's kind of hard to trust that I think, but um, yeah. I think it's an important thing to keep in mind is sometimes it takes a few tries to find the right something, you know? Yeah. Just, just like with, with fitness, sometimes you got to do some chair yoga to discover you want to you know, lift 200 pound weights. I don't know, but there's, it's sometimes how it works, right? Oh, I don't like exercise. Well, you just maybe haven't found the thing that's right for you. Oh, that medication didn't work for you. Well, yeah. maybe keep looking for one that might. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point because if you are a parent who is really resistant or hesitant to start meds with your kid and then your kid is like super moody and upset, you're like, see, this was a bad idea. Right. And it's just that the first med wasn't a great fit. Um, also, kids with autism and ADHD, the ADHD medication doesn't have the – it has a bit less effect. Like you don't mm. get the full – because you're not looking at straight-up ADHD, right? right? There's there's other things there. Um, we found uh, improved sleep, and a lot of the time her personality is like even more sparkly. It's almost like her own personality can shine through more because there's less stuff in the way. Um, she transitions better. We were having just like full screaming meltdowns every time we needed a transition to happen and like stuff that you there's can't a, not There's do. a lot of transitions for kids. <laughs> right? Yeah. You gotta, gotta eat your breakfast and you gotta get dressed in the morning. You gotta go to school. You gotta pack your bag. You gotta, there's all these things that you just need to do and you probably don't want to do any of them, to be honest, right? <laughs> Especially if you're a kid who'd rather stay up late and sleep later in the morning, if that's your natural clock. But school mm -hmm. is school, right? The times this are the is, times. This is partly why teenagers are always cranky, right? Nobody figured oh, out that we should just shift high school to start at, know. you know, 11 a.m. and go till five. No, God forbid. No, I know, right? No, everybody, same time. So um, we just see a lot more ease with transitions and we can actually start working on her executive functioning in the sense that like she would never clear her dishes and we stopped asking her to because it would result in such a massive meltdown and tantrum mm -hmm. that it was like what's the point right she's so not going to do it and her. now we're also having a fight so exactly exactly yeah. like what where whereas now i need to remind her to clear her dishes um I make little checklists in the morning and now I just say, Hey, how's your list looking? And she'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah. My dishes. And she'll clear her dishes. So like we're seeing very significant pro progress in that way. Um, dressing in the morning so much better. Now, do I still need to line out all her clothes? Absolutely. Will she forget her underwear if I don't put it out there? <laughs> yes. But like we are going to get there. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where I was like, am I going to have to work. lay out clothes for this kid forever? Right? right right and we're gonna get there right because now all of the therapies the adjunct stuff she can start mm -hmm. actually processing and utilizing and realizing that oh yeah i can do this right mm -hmm. now i can lay out her clothes and leave and be like go get dressed your stuff's on my bed and she'll go get dressed 
I um, think this too is that self-esteem piece that we touched on last yeah. week when we're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like when mm-hmm. a child knows that they're capable of doing something, it does something to them compared to feeling like I'm so dumb, I'm never going to get this right, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we're at the place where we're so smooth with the getting dressed in the morning that I'm feeling like we can start looking towards like, okay, um, maybe I give her a list of things to gather to get dressed and Mm. she can go get that, you know, like start to wean her off of Mm -hmm. towards more independence with that. And it's just like, I wouldn't have even dreamed of having a kid Mm -hmm. we could do that with. Mm -hmm. Um, We went from upwards of 10 full screaming, name calling, kicking meltdowns a day Mm. to like one in 10 weeks. Wow. Which in all honesty was very much triggered by my very linear thinking husband's (laughs) need to get out the door at a certain time. Right. (laughs) But the point is, it was in all honesty, probably a preventable meltdown. But the fact that you can even look at that and say, you know, (laughs) if cooler heads had prevailed, I think it would have been okay. Um, But at the end of the day, we like one in 10 weeks fr- mm-hmm. from daily, day, just non-stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty remarkable. I actually think she needs to go up on her dose a little bit more um, because it's a fine art, man, that like scaffolding to, mm-hmm. to, to the right dose. You don't want to overdo it. You want the least amount of medication to get yeah. the maximum result. Yeah. Um, curious, actually, is it a similar kind of process to what we've seen as adults? Like they start on, you know, a small, the smallest possible dose yeah. and then you go up as yeah. necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was kind of cool is because the category of drug that she's taking, she takes Adderall. Um, it works because ADHD has so much genetic component to it that, they're like, for me, they're like, oh, we'll just put you on a drug that's in the same family, just a longer acting one, which is where Vivance comes in because it's like the longer acting version. Because right. if that's working for your kid, it's probably going to work for your, you. A lot of parents, and we talked about this last week, find out they have ADHD because their kid is diagnosed with ADHD, which is you know what happened in my case, kind of in parallel. But a lot of people, their kid will get diagnosed. And the first, and the, 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 their family doc will be like, have you tried your kid's medication? It's so interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. And I have several friends. I am, first off, I am not advocating for anybody to take anybody else's medication. No. Hands down. That is no. not what I am saying. But I know a lot of people anecdotally who've done that. And that was their holy shit moment because they're like, oh my God, I took my child's dose of Concerta. And now, and then I actually was able to like sit down and complete the work I had to do and it wasn't a struggle and what the hell. And then they'll go back to their doctor and sheepishly tell them, and the doctor's like, oh, okay. Like they're not even surprised. Right, right. Don't do that. And if you do, do it on your own accord. Do not do it because I said this. I will say the one side effect we've had, um, we've had a bit of irritability, but I, with the autism being there, it's very mm. hard to tease out like what's mm-hmm. irritability from just being an autistic person in a world that wasn't really made for you versus irritability uh, from a side effect from the medication. Uh, it honestly could be either. My bias says it's probably the autism, but that could just be my bias, you know, saying mm-hmm. that. Um, but what's interesting, but I do think it could be the medication in the sense that um, she has autism and she's an extremely picky eater. 
very mm. limited food uh, that mm. she'll eat, which is very classic Common. kids with yeah. autism. Um, and then the stimulant makes you, uh, can be an appetite suppressant. Mm, I'm not really right. experiencing that personally, just saying, <laughs> but for the kids that sure, the kids that like categorically do not need an appetite suppressant, right. it, it does seem to have this effect. And I think when you have a combination of not being hungry and like really not liking already food, not being interested in food anyway, yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. and we have, uh, for better, for worse, what is working in order to have a fed child been uh, having her eat a lot of uh, foods to snack on during the day mm -hmm. to help with the irritability. And it does mm -hmm. help substantially, mm -hmm. but they're not always things that I would love my kid to be snacking. On. Right. 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 Like if I make protein pancakes, um, which she'll eat now, she's like, well, I'll have it if I can have it with Nutella. And I'm like, right. damn it. But also all this stuff I'm listening to now is like, fed is don't best. die on that. Yeah. Do not die right? on that hill. And you don't want to create an even more tumultuous yes. relationship with food, especially for girls. We already know the world is going to mm -hmm. try to shove disordered eating on mm -hmm. them already. Right. Yeah. We, we need to do when, everything we can to make food really neutral. Right. Totally. And one of the suggestions that Dr. Becky in her good inside book has for food is actually to just put dessert on your kid's dinner plate. If you are mm. a family that does dessert, don't separate it from dinner. Just stick it there. Um, and if they, they'll eat, they'll eat till they're full. And some of the logic is also that um, kids that if they know there's dessert and they're not going to eat their dinner because they want to eat the dessert, if they already know the portion for the dessert, they might realize that after they eat the dessert first, that they're actually still hungry and then they'll eat their dinner. And I actually right. really liked that as a framing of it is like you're, you're not making dessert special. And I've actually, I've heard this from a few um, registered dietitians actually around, yeah. particularly around, you know, if you're concerned around, even for yourself, you know, your own mm -hmm. maybe disordered eating patterns or what you're, mm -hmm. you know, transferring to your kids. Um, it's a way to neutralize yeah. the idea that, you know, food is a special treat and you reward yourself with food, right? It's just food mm -hmm. is food and you eat it or you don't eat it and it's fine, Right. Yeah. So I think, it, which I, I haven't actually tried that yet. We're not a big dessert family, but no, um, we really do either. have, yeah, we, we have ice cream all the time in our freezer because that's actually the only way she'll take her medicine in the morning because, <laughs> because she can't swallow pills. That's why she was started on Adderall because you can mm -hmm. open it and sprinkle it on things. But because of the autism, she was like gagging and retching at all the right. usual things. You can't chew it. You need to like slurp it back. But yeah. like yogurt, she won't eat yogurt. Like it was a, I took her to Walmart and was like, what do you want to try? We, we had pudding. We had like freaking uniform, unicorn candy cane, put. we had all of these revolting, <laughs> right. like whatever, whatever yeah. you will take this with. And so now she has like a little scoop of ice cream with it each morning. She just slurps it back with a scoop of ice cream. So we always have ice cream. And I think I'm going to trial the days that we decide we're having ice cream after dinner, just having it as an option to have it with dinner because it melts. Mm -hmm. So I can see how maybe right. one of my other kids would be like, but, it's but gonna I don't want this but now. Just have and, it as right. a, you can I have this now if you want idea. to. Yeah. I, I just like, I really love it as a concept. And, and I do think that because when you feed dinner and this is like a bit of a tangent, but it's valuable. I think when you feed, you eat dinner, but you know, there's dessert, then you eat dessert and then you're hungry your kid's hungry after dessert. How irritated are you as a parent? Oh my God. 
Like you told me you were full. We've cleared yeah. the table. Like, yeah. like, right. Yeah. Whereas this is just like, here's your serving. And then everything else is still out there. I don't know. I think it's something worth trying for us. Anyways. Yeah. Well, report back we because I'm, I'm curious. I, I do I'm think actually too. that kind of general idea of like, I have a kid who has no interest in food really ever. She's interested in dessert mm. when it happens, mm. but Convenient, like hey? <laughs> she could kind of care less generally about anything more substantial than fruit and vegetables, which is great. I'm very happy that she oh, yeah, yeah. eats her fruits and vegetables, but like if she never ate, uh, you know, any carbohydrates or any protein, like she would not care one yeah. way or the other and so yeah. it often is really challenging to feel like no you you know i need you to eat a balanced meal and stepping back and remembering that like when we can take the charge out of it and just let yeah. them you know be neutral about it that's how we take some of that you know weaponization of food yeah. and and you know paving the way for potentially disordered eating down the road yeah and and so that's the one side effect i'll say is is totally there um and I would imagine if you have a kid who doesn't have autism in the picture, it would be a bit easier to just be like, hey, it's time to eat, like, whatever. Um, and you definitely have a kid that eats more at the end of the day because during the day, they're just not. not. And I mean, and if you think about how much lunch gets eaten at school, like they're too busy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so being having like a heavy at the end of the day, whether you're eating at the end of the day or throughout the day, as long as we're meeting our hunger cues and whatever yeah. and our nutrition being able needs. to be flexible about what that might look like i think is totally takes the pressure off of you even as a parent right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then that pressure doesn't trickle down a hundred percent um also since starting her meds uh her teacher has noticed a huge difference even though this is a kid who never had any issues at school right she says she just seems more relaxed uh -huh. Um, she's more able to, uh, have more reciprocal conversations, um, has a lot more flexibility in terms of situations and whatnot, even though she never right. had any problems, right. she just is not as like physically as rigid. Cause you can, rigid. she could like see her agreeing because she knew she was supposed to, whereas now it's just, there's just a lot more ease with her. Uh -huh. Um, and like day one, her occupational therapist was like, that we had a completely different session than the <laughs> sessions before uh -huh. and they got to do more. And I've hear her repeating the things that she's learned. Like she was talking about, um, recognizing people's feelings, which she's always been fine recognizing people's feelings. It's then acting appropriately in response to the feeling. <laughs> right. right. I know the feelings there. I just don't care about you the are angry, <laughs> right. but right. And, and so that's something she's working with, with her speech language pathologist. And she started, articulating that at home like mm. i'm gonna go give daddy a hug because he seems upset like that sort that of must be and that's like huge, huge. Yeah. that must make you feel so good as a parent right like oh, i 100%. can see i've made the right choice because this is yeah. such a beautiful thing that i see happening with my child i i i feel like a phrase like blossoming is really corny but mm -hmm. I, it feels really true, relevant though. right yeah and it's like a very rapid blossoming like when hmm. for us getting the right medication for our kid was like a switch mm -hmm. and it was shocking day one we're like coincidence and then after a while <laughs> placebo we're like, oh coincidence <laughs> and then we're just looking for the best right she had that one meltdown and i remembered i was like oh my god this was our life before 
-hmm. right? And it's just so different now. Uh, I mean, we can actually do things as a family because she's not exhausted by 6.30 PM. Mm -hmm. She was so tired. She had to go to bed at 6.30 every day, like tapped out, couldn't. So all summer we could not be out doing anything because she had to be back by 6.30. And it wasn't like, oh, eh." it's like, no, no, she would be melting down. Right. Well, you know what? I think this is another good point. Like this is obviously has impacted her really beautifully, but this has Mm -hmm. improved your whole family, right? Improved our whole family. And she feels better. We -hmm. spend a lot of time asking her, like, how do you feel on your medication? Because we want her to know that there's a link there mm-hmm, right and she's yeah. like i feel so much better and she'll remind us oh i have to take my medication today like she she wants to be a part of that even though she mm-hmm. hates like she doesn't enjoy the taste she's not <laughs> right. enjoying the process but i but think when I, we can make that connection and recognize yeah you know, if i x then y and i want mm-hmm. y so i'm gonna x right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think just to kind of wrap it up i think that i know that it's really hard as a parent when you've got you enter this space of having a neurodivergent kid because everybody mm-hmm. loves to give you their opinions of it. <laughs> and it's also, I'm comfortable talking about it, but um, it's also okay to not be comfortable about it and to just start totally. your kid on meds and not tell anybody. You don't need to feel that you have to be very external um, with the and transparent with the process. You don't have to. This is something you can do quietly at home and it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, it's awesome to talk about it because it really normalizes it for other people. But like, mm-hmm. you also don't have to be the person to help normalize it for other people. It's really fine for you to have that as a personal experience. And I think especially experience. people come from social circles or families, especially where there might be a lot of judgment around that. 100%. And it's okay mm-hmm. for you to just do what you feel like needs to be done for your child. You yeah. don't have to, you don't have to tell your mother-in-law it's okay. No, it's okay. And <laughs> these are medications that can be started and stopped. You don't have mm-hmm. to taper, you have to build. They're not like antidepressants. They're yeah. very user-friendly in the sense that you can decide to take a break from the medication. Um there's different ways about it. So, yeah. All to say, we are always open to having this conversation, um but you don't need to feel open to having it yourself. You can just Go and live your life and don't tell you your, your judgy friend what you decided <laughs> to do. <laughs> totally. Well, this is awesome, Jenny. Thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing your family's experience because I think this these conversations um, can be hard for people to have for all the reasons we just talked about. But I think mm-hmm. this is where seeking out you know, the messy metal of this is what we're experiencing. And these are all the things that we're doing, I think is really, Mm -hmm. hopefully is valuable. So if you think it's valuable too, I will once again, remind you the best way you can tell us that you think it's valuable is to give us a review on your platform of choice. And share. We like shares. We love it when you share. (laughs) We love sharing. Thanks so much for listening to Email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.